did you guys remember the big like DS boom? What, when was that? Like what era? Do you know? Do you remember what time frame that was for over here? Because I remember it was a big thing, but like that had to have been like past 2005, right? Well, obviously it was past. Um, I would say like 2009, 10ish. Around that time. Um, I think that's a I little late. Being, that's a might little be a little late. late. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say like that's in high school. Around the time I was in like eighth grade, maybe like maybe my freshman year was kind of the tail end of it. Because I remember getting into a. I I remember reading like this article on Nintendo Power about games that you couldn't get in the U.S. And so obviously I was like, I gotta get my hands on some of these fucking games. Um, one of them was a. Uh, 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 jump Ultimate Stars or Jump All Stars? I think it was oh, All yeah, Stars. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like a card game, kind of. It was sick, actually. It was it was actually fucking dope. Didn't we um? Didn't we play that in high school? And you were able to like, you were you, not everyone needed it. Like you only yeah, one person it was one of those that you for... could send it, and then they could get like pre-made. Yeah, only that's one person sick. had to have, and everyone else could have joined the lot. Dude, that's a that's a feature I wish more games had. Yeah, that was actually legit. Mario Kart had that. Uh, Super Mario Brothers. Oh yeah, had Mario that. Kart had that, but you could only be like the shy guy. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. That was still sick because you could just like have one copy and you fucking could play it now. Can't yeah, even. You race. Now you can't even fucking play like eight players with two switches, which should be a thing, but you can't. It's fucking bullshit. Well, do you but remember yeah. at that time? There was also like like there was a lot of. The DS was kind of like a weird console in its in its like initial iteration, because like more and than Nintendogs. any Nintendo dogs, <laughs> like it had a lot of those types of of like casual wear, you know, like it's it's not a hardcore game whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's a very like Tamagotchi, Animal Crossing, like those types of games. There was a lot of those, but there was also a lot of like Brain Age. And like trivia, and I had Brain Age. I still have it. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. A yeah. lot of people had it. That was a that was a really popular game. But when I was doing research for this show, uh, which we're we're doing, um, <laughs> welcome everybody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, go on, go on. There was so many. Um, like in Japan what I learned was like the, the DS boom was kind of bigger than I ever remembered it in America. Like I remember DS boom in everybody my age having a DS, right? Like mm -hmm. everyone around you and your peers and, and, and in school, like kids having it. If I can add something, I, th I think I noticed a lot more people having a DSI than like a DS Lite. I hardly ever yeah. saw people have the big bulky DS probably uh -huh. for good reason. Um, I remember seeing a couple like people in my friend group have a DS Lite, but as far as like the casual base, I saw a lot of DSIs. Like mm -hmm. all my cousins had DSIs. Well, there was a lot of promotional stuff for the DSI that was very like family oriented. Right, like it was like had the camera, so you could use the yeah, camera and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely and a big part. It, they they went for a bigger market, but in, but like even the original DS in Japan mm -hmm. around two thousand seven was huge in a way that like it didn't quite reach us. It it was big in the sense that it was like a fad or it was a fashion sense. You know, it was like the newest hippest item 
So a lot of people would just get it. You know, it was like $150, $160. People would just get it because it was the new big thing. And then get home and go like, all right, cool. What do I do with this thing? You know, like they didn't, they didn't want to play Kirby. They didn't want to play Mario. They weren't, that wasn't their demographic. And that's where like, why you had all these like Sudoku and puzzle games and like trivia games and like brain elasticity games, stuff like that. You had all that stuff kind of coming out on the, on the, the, the DS because there was this big market of people in Japan that fit this like weird niche. And so it, it comes to this era, you know, there's this big question. There's a big gap uh, for game devs to fill, which is like, how do you merge this like trivia type of thing with, you know, the video games and, and that everybody can enjoy beyond just kids and adults, you know, um, for me brain age and stuff like that that wasn't really a game you know what i mean it was like it was something you did for 30 minutes it was like a routine (laughs) it was a routine it wasn't a game um and so uh this this very question uh the ceo of level five he wanted to fill that hole he really wanted to to bridge that gap um that guy's name is Akahiro Hino. And Scott, you might recognize this guy's name. Uh, do you? No, that doesn't okay. ring a bell for me. The reason I thought maybe you would recognize it is because he's not only the CEO of Level 5, he's okay. also the game producer for Dragon Quest Eight. You're joking. No, he, in fact, he was coming oh, wow. off of that like three years prior to Professor Layton, which is what we're doing this series on today. But three years prior to to, to uh, Professor Layton, he released, you know, Dragon Quest Eight released on the DS. And he was coming off of that going, how do we fill this void? And and this was his next project he really kind of dug into. And, um, and what's interesting is that when you kind of figure out, like, and do a little bit of research about the game, you kind of realize, like, all of the, like... If you know what Professor Layton is, it'll make sense in a second. If you don't know, it will in a second. But basically, the entire gameplay of Professor Layton is a digitized version of um, this puzzle book author's like books from years past. Uh, it was it was a series of books that uh, Hino played when he was a kid and and would use in childhood and 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 you know, messed around with. And he loved those books so much that he wanted to kind of bring those to fill the gap. He saw, you know, like the, the, the possibility there. And he, he was the one that kind of brought the project together and merged it. He, in fact, went and got the very dude that made those books that he loved so much. The books were called, um, Atama no Tai, uh, Atama no Taiso, or, you know, in American, or in American, in English, it's called head gymnastics. Huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Japanese name because <laughs> it's just kind of a weird name in English. Head gymnastics because it's about a detective and it's about solving solving these mysteries. Right, right. And so the the author of those books is called uh, Akira Tago. And so Hino, the CEO at Level Five went to Tago and was like, hey, 
love your books, my man. Let's make a game. And Tago's like, yeah, let's make a game. And so they just kind of were like, cool, let's make a game. And so they got started working on a game. Um, Tago went off and started writing the script. And in turn, Hino came back to the studio and, and the company started producing uh, or reproducing the puzzles from the books and putting them into a digital form for the game. And so a ton of the game, uh, a ton of the puzzles that we play throughout the, the game are literally just one-to-ones from the uh, Atama no Taiso books. Okay. Okay. It's interesting how they... Uh... I'd be curious to see like the uh, the originals. That's what I'm trying to say, just to see yeah. like how the how the translation all came to be. That and and there's a lot of the ones on on the DS. You know, they utilize like the ability to move things around on the screen, and I can't imagine some of the puzzles being laid out in a book, and then like, I'm guess I'm guessing it expects you to like recreate it on like a piece of paper or something, you know, mm -hmm. like the puzzle we'll, we'll we'll get to some of the puzzles here when we go over the synopsis but there's some of the puzzles in the game that really rely on you moving pieces and and parts around the screen to solve the riddle and uh and it would be really hard to do in just text um the last bit of the of the production um the professor lane in the mysterious village or the curious village sorry the village name is Saint Mystique, but it is uh, Professor Layton in the Curious Village has over um, has 160 puzzles in total. But in order to get all of those, they even had some in Japan uh, specific puzzles that were released over Wi-Fi events. So you can already kind of see like the game released with a lot of publicity, right? Mm -hmm. Um. Now, none of us owned a Layton game, right? No. no, no. They were always touted, like, through, like, commercials and whatnot, especially online as well, of, like, oh, you can be a detective with Professor Layton and go on this grand adventure to save the world, right? With this, like, mysterious little town. But, like, I don't think we ever picked it up, right? No, I certainly didn't. I mean, it was a hard choice as a kid, you know? Like, mm -hmm. when you just don't have money to blow... And you walk into the store and you can like, do you get the new Pokemon game or do you get, <laughs> you know, Professor Layton, kind of a wild card pick as a kid. And, and you know, if we got those as a kid, I don't know if we would have been able, if we would have been able to finish it truly. It's because uh, it is all puzzles. As we'll see, the gameplay of the game is nothing but puzzles. Um, There's nothing... Literally no other gameplay feature of actually like that involves you in engaging with the the game. Just all puzzles. So like as a kid, I would probably get a little flustered, and especially if I didn't have like the internet to just go like, all right, just give me the freaking answer. <laughs> like I don't want to sit here for twenty minutes thinking about this puzzle <laughs> about about how to get these freaking sheep across the river without the wolves eating them. That's one of the that's one of the puzzles. <laughs> Uh, but when the game released, how many? When we're talking about Japan sales, all right? Okay. 
How many say how many units do you think was sold in the first year? Oh. Mm. Alfie? First year? Um first year. A hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Scott. Thousand. This is just a, wow. just Japan. Okay. Okay. Uh I wanna say like twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. Right, yeah. two thousand five hundred. Two thousand five hundred yeah. units. Yes, it sold seven hundred thousand units in the first year it was released, <laughs> and it was there were two Professor Layton games released in that year. Oh wow! When the game <laughs> launched, it was already had been in production for the sequel, The Diabolical Box. Jeez, the game was expected to do well, and it did phenomenal. And uh, and when we like break out of Japan, right? We go over to like, we come over here to the West. In the U.S., it remained at the top selling game for three weeks straight. Really? So if we kind of just it went right over our heads somehow, like it just it it got our attention, but it just didn't it didn't hook us, but it hooked a ton of people. Yeah. And when we go and finish it up, like in the UK, the game only reached tenth place in sales. So it's not unfortunately it's not quite as big as America, not quite as big. That was until they restocked the sucker because everybody <laughs> wanted the damn thing. It sold over three hundred thousand copies in Europe alone. Jeez, dude. I I feel like we missed like a landmark. Now that you're mentioning all these numbers, I feel right? like we missed like, right? something huge. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so that in in America it released in 2008. So when it got wrapped into like award ceremonies, game of the years, it was for the year of 2008, right? Of course. At that point, GameSpy was still kind of a big name. <laughs> it is much bigger than it is now. Um. But GameSpy gave this game, um, it won several awards, including the best DS game of 2008 and the 10th best game of 2008 overall. The 10th best game. Hmm. That in 2008, you went, I, I went and got a couple games that released then. Guess what was competing with in 2008? Oh, jeez. Right? Okay, I'm going to take a wild gander and say uh, New Super Mario Brothers. No. Nah. I mean, maybe, but it's not in the top 10. Oof. Bro, it's sharing a top 10 with Mass Effect, Fallout oh 3, Left 4 Dead 1, and Grand Theft Auto 4. Professor oh. Layton, a puzzle-solving detective and ward game, is, about, is on the same list as Mass Effect and Grand Theft Auto 4. In terms of games, maybe maybe 2008 wasn't a great year, but I think it was just as good as any year of video games. It was, <laughs> Professor. Yeah, no, that's 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 an insane list. Sorry to cut you off, but that's no. an insane list to compete with. It's crazy. Wow. Oh man. So, when we, I'm just gonna go through the legacy then of it. I was gonna save this to the very end of the day. We'll just get through all this. Go through the synopsis. But when it, so 
Professor Layton is owned by Level 5, right? And Level 5 boasts an impressive lineup. Dark Cloud. Yeah, Dark Cloud. I'll never forget that. Dragon Quest, like we like I said, it um when Studio Ghibli got rid or was done doing Nino Kuni after the White Witch, who do they give it to? Level five. They have Nino Kuni in their rosters. They also have Yokai Watch, which is fantastically large as well. But none of them, right? In all of their lineup, in all of their titles that level five has, underneath its, you know, it's very, very large belt at this point professor layton has over 17 million copies sold worldwide making it level five's most sold title in all of its games jesus professor layton starting with this game starting with the uh the curious village became level five's best selling ip and title to date That's insane. That's really insane. <laughs> and so what does that mean? It means that there's over 10 games under oh, the Layton name. This includes two direct sequels to the game we're about to cover. Two, uh, three prequels before The Curious Village. A spinoff game that involves family members of Layton. And it has a crossover game with Phoenix Wright from the Capcom family. It's got mangas. It's got novels. It's got television series. It's even got several movies. Dude, Professor Layton, somehow, for whatever our radar malfunctions are, we missed it, bro. We missed Professor Layton, but it kept going without us. And so, like, I, I didn't know anything about this game. And so, after playing it and then doing all that and learning all this stuff, it's really kind of like, holy crap. So, they, like, blew me away, right? It took me yeah. completely by surprise. Dude, that's, that's kind of insane how we kind of just went, nah, I think I'll just get a, another game instead, right? <laughs> right? And and it but but that's the thing is now you think about it and no matter what every time you went back to the store as a kid to get the next Pokemon game to get the next Metroid game to get the next Mario game to get the next Zelda whatever it was there were so many things to get but every time you went there's always a new Layton game looking at you and you just never looked back you know what I mean yeah there was always it was always there trying to get your attention but it just it it couldn't compete. At least for us, it just couldn't compete with everything else. But man, it took off. It did a huge. Mm-hmm. Man, that's. Did you know any of that, really Alfie? Think about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I can yeah. see. I can definitely see why I overlooked the game, though. Like with everything that came out. Granted, I think I only played like a handful of the games that you that you listed off in that top ten. But uh. Yeah, like a slower paced game like that. You said it came out in 2008? Uh, yeah, 2008 here in the West, 2007 in Japan. Yeah, so I was in, I was in eighth grade. So, yeah, it's like, why would we? <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't 
I was like, this this game, this game's not gonna get me girls. Yeah, I was popping off. I was popping off with my friend on Halo, you know, riding around on warthogs and shooting things. (laughs) Yeah. Why would you choose a a game about puzzles? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was bad enough for me that I was I was still into Pokemon. I had to had to had to keep that a secret, you know. Oh, me too. I'm not gonna be caught playing some fucking puzzle game now. Especially, dude. Especially in like DS games, like they retailed for what? They still retailed for sixty bucks at the time, yeah, right? Yeah, they were still sixty. Yeah, fuck no, dude. 60. If I could get were some they? fucking like, please, so yeah, they, they were like sixty or fifty or forty. Man, that's crazy. I think, I think we're yeah. No, it's I. I don't know, cause like growing up as a kid, I probably would have like returned the game immediately. Right, puzzle, puzzle games and I don't mix. You know, I'm I'll, I'll admit it. I'm a dumb as bag uh, as a bag of rocks, right? I think we all know that. So it's like Professor Layton, as cool as it looked on the shelf, it's like why would I play a puzzle game when I can play like like No More Heroes on the Wii? You know what I mean? <laughs> there you go. All right, so I couldn't find the original price, but I'm pretty sure there are a lot of DS games that retail for sixty dollars. Probably right. Probably right. Well, do you guys want to learn? Finally, do you want to get into Professor Layton in the Curious Village and learn about the game that you that we all so dearly missed? Yeah, I want to know what the, the I guess hype we didn't is dearly about. Miss it. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, let's get into it. Uh, the game as as we begin, Professor Layton, you, as you put the cartridge into your DS, you you boot it up. We're presented with Professor Layton and the archaeologist and master detective um, who's world-renowned for solving puzzles uh, for some reason. He's driving out into the countryside with his protege, Luke Triton. And, um, you know, I figure these guys are... Like, I, I don't really need to give you the picture for these two guys because, you know, they're the main characters of the game. But I have gone through and I've cut out pictures of everybody, so we can get a get a load of these two. So how how would you, Scott? How would you describe Professor Layton for me? I've given you a picture of him. Ooh, okay. Well, the first thing that's noticeable is that his top hat is basically the same width as his head. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those perfect like... fits. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> it it it's it's insane, but the most noticeable thing is his top hat. Um, oh, he's he kind of adorned. Thing. He's kind of adorned in all. Um, I would say brown, right, with a with an orange shirt, little beady eyes, and a and a nice smile. He's he's a nice fellow. He's a nice looking fellow. He's a gentleman. Yeah, he is a gentleman, Scott. That is what he would call himself. Yes, that'd be correct. And how how would you how would you describe Luke? He's like if Flapjack wasn't a sailor. Yeah, so where's Candy Island? <laughs> Professor Layton had received uh, an invitation uh, penned by a Lady Dahlia. Now, I'm not going to give you just yet because at this point in the game, we haven't met her yet. It's still a question is, who is this Lady Dahlia? But we've received an invitation to come to a village out in the countryside. And uh, it's at this point that Luke's a little... Eh, I don't know if we should go out there kind of deal. Doesn't seem that interesting. Why would the world's best detective, this grand puzzle-solving 
archaeologist, why would he spend so you know, take away time and go to this little old village? That's when Leighton has to go like, hey, little bitch, listen up. This guy named Baron Augustus Reinhold. Now, how many times I wrote this down and, and put Reinhardt is beyond me. But take a look at this guy. It's a teeny tiny little picture. But oh, goodness. So this guy, Baron Augustus Reinhold, has passed away. And for some time, this has been known. And in his will, he left this secret little crafty uh, clause of sorts, which stated that um, his fortune was to not be uh, inherited by anybody, that instead his fortune would be hidden, and whoever could find the golden apple could then retrieve all of his fortune. They had to find and, pro and get the golden apple, and then the... the inheritance can be theirs all of his fortune and it's like well that's a that's a bit more of an interesting uh interesting gig than just coming to go help some old lady right yeah yeah uh, that, that that seems more uh more interesting than i would have given it for as a kid <laughs> i'll be honest yeah, it is, it's a bit of a setup, right? Like, okay, yeah. we're going to the town. Let's go see what they have to, what they want help with. But secretly, we're looking for the golden apple. So this is at this point in the game, we're presented with the first like puzzle, with like the official first puzzle, and it's it's a very simple one. It's a riddle that says, "My house is the one that doesn't connect to any other house." And then they give you a map, and it has a bunch of like houses on it with the roads coming off, and hers is the house that doesn't lead to any other house it's not really a puzzle it's not really hard but it's the first one and that's kind of how the gameplay throughout the whole thing is um you reach a point where something needs to happen or there's a problem with a physical thing in the world you solve a puzzle that's semi-related to it and the problem gets solved or uh as we'll see a villager needs your help with something and that help become solving a puzzle for them <laughs> because they can't solve the puzzle and then you get you know you move forward in the game now as we solve that puzzle move on uh we're presented with the title card of the game professor layton and the curious village and as we fade in after that uh we're presented with like the skyline of the village and it's a bunch of really short houses but then in the middle of the village, there's this big, janky-looking tower. And I was playing a little bit for you uh, in the week, Scott, as I was playing through the game. And uh, and you saw that janky-looking tower. And uh, and and it's pretty, it's pretty spooky-looking. Yeah, I would say it's pretty ominous. Just just sitting there in the background like that, it is pretty ominous. It's got this weird design where like instead of being like a solid tower that goes up or like it's just a crooked tower it's it's crooked in a way of like it seems like floors were built on top of each other and then shifted like you know 20 feet or 10 feet oh, to the left yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's like built and then like or like if you took like jenga blocks and stacked them up kind of in a stair pattern that's kind of how these are rooms and, and pieces of the tower are positioned. It's really janky. It's, it is really imposing. Um, but we can't get into the village because 
the drawbridge that we need to walk across is stuck. And this is when we're introduced to uh, the drawbridge operator, Franco. Which, uh, Alfie, could you give me a description of Franco? Well, <laughs> it's like Joe from Family Guy's head. And, uh, huh. Um, <laughs> what I would expect Ice King to be to be <laughs> in the tank top and the shorts. <laughs> It's like it's like a chin with a nose. Dude, that's insane, man. So how do you see out of that? I'm sorry. I I would attempt to describe this to you listeners, but Franco's got a body. Um and we'll find other villagers like this where it's just it's almost impossible to describe them in any way that that makes sense and that you could actually visualize you kind of have to oh. see these people to to uh to understand what they look like but looking at this guy you can tell he's probably a genius and today he's just uh he's just having an off day and so professor layton standing on the other side of the moat or whatever, you know, the ravine that the drawbridge goes over standing on the other side of it. We peer across and solve a puzzle for him and we get the drawbridge to drop and we're able to enter into St. Mystique, the city in which the golden apple is, uh, Oh, St. Mystere. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Shit, shit, shit. Abort, abort, abort. St. Mystere. I'm going to get some names wrong too because like they're like chowder names. They're oh, na- they're okay. named after foods and stuff like that. Okay. Well, it can't be that bad, right? I mean, have you looked at the way Franco looks? That's about how some of the names appear. <laughs> oh, okay. I take it back. I take this back. <laughs> so as we uh enter into the village, we're introduced to the what I would call the second half of the gameplay. I don't really necessarily think it's gameplay, but it's in terms of the time that you spend with the game, it's like this is where you spend the other half of the time. If you're not solving puzzles and you're not like on the pause menu, you know, solving more puzzles, you're going through these maps, which are 2D like images that you walk through. And when you like when you when I say walk through, I mean, you tap an arrow. And you go to a new 2D image of the town, like in a different part of town. And you kind of make your way through the village using these arrows and 2D images, clicking on NPCs that show up, solving puzzles, finding hidden things along the way. That's that's the basic gameplay for it. I'm, I'm glad it's simple. I'm glad the movement in the game is at least simple. Granted, it is on the DS, right? So I don't know. Well, my question is, since we can look at the models here, but... My question is, are the mo- or is is the gameplay like 2D or 3D? No, it's all 2D. What you see okay. is both like what you so on the on the 2D images of the maps that you go through, these the what I'm sending to you guys and showing you, these are like the sprites that show up on the map. Oh, and so these okay. are literally like the things you would tap on your screen to then interact with them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now that we've gotten into the town, we've talked to a couple NPCs that don't mean anything because they were just tutorial NPCs. Um, we learned a little bit about the menus of the game. 
we're, we just kind of make a beeline straight for the manor where Lady Dolly is located. Uh, and while we're on the way, we get stopped abruptly by two people. And again, I'm going to throw away the first guy that we meet because he is inconsequential to the rest of the story completely. But then we reach this uh, second wall in our path. A, a guy named... Uh, well, how would you say it? I, I don't know how to say this. It's uh, R-A-M-O-N, right? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Is that Raymond like... or Ramon? Or would Ramon have an E? I think Ramon uh, would have an E. In Spanish, it's just Ramon. So I, I've sent you Ramon in the chat. And who, I'm going to give you guys both a chance to take a stab oh, at this guy. Jesus. And do well, a good job. Know. Explain him well, because he becomes important later. Do you want well, to take a stab at this Alfie? You got the nose of a toucan. <laughs> and the ears of a quarter. And I don't mean quarter-sized ears. I mean, like, the well, ears that Washington would have on a quarter, that's the size of this guy's ears. And, it, oh, and it's, they're about as far away. They're, like, one nose length away. So they're, like, one beak away oh, from God, each other. Right. Oh god, you're right. Um, well, let's just say the space between his forehead and where his hairline actually begins is where they shot Mad Max. Right? That's like <laughs> yeah, right. The- <laughs> so- There's no head to it. There's no forehead. It's just <laughs> I oh I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him genetically. This man is yeah, just a mess. His arms are nearly twice the length of his legs it's it's like someone did a really weird caricature of like reed richards from the fantastic four right it's oh man this guy looks like you need to look this up is what we're saying (laughs) you have to go look up ramon from curious village because he's got to go through and also do that like as your hand bigger than your face (laughs) maybe he get a smaller nose after that as well i'm surprised that's not actual puzzle like hand bigger than your face puzzle he's also dude he's got like he's got like fish mouth he's got like a fish mouth you know what i mean yeah (laughs) what's that one pokemon that came out in like gen 7 like i know exactly yes yes (laughs) (laughs) so this guy's ramon and he stops us in front of like a river right and he has us solve, uh, I alluded to this puzzle earlier. He's, he makes us solve a puzzle where we have to get, and I'm not going to go over every puzzle in the game. I just remember this one a lot. Uh, you have to get three wolves and three chickens across the river. But you can't move more than two animals at the same time. And if there's ever more wolves than there are chickens, they'll just eat the chickens. So you have to keep it balanced or keep the chickens more than the wolves. And you have to get them all to the other side via a raft that can only carry two animals. And you have to have an animal on the raft to move it. Oh, goodness. Right? So so suddenly, like, try and, try and imagine, like, this is in a book. This is, like, in, in a text and in, in, in on a page that you have to read. And then how are you supposed to solve, like, you're, you have to, like, you have yeah, to that, draw that. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way the book gives you, like, pages to do it on. Yeah, so my question is, like, at the beginning of the book, does it, like, demand that you have a pen and paper, <laughs> right? 
They sell it like, with a notebook and a pencil. <laughs> that actually would be an ingenious thing. That would be pretty cool. You know, you buy a book, it comes with like a notepad. That would be pretty cool. Dude, yeah. But God, it makes me wonder how you describe this character specifically <laughs> in that book. Oh, just wait. There's more. This is, we've oh, only, no. I've only shown you like three characters. We oh, haven't even gotten no. to the main ones. Um, so, so after we solve this, like this, this wolf and sheep's riddle, uh, we move on and we were able to actually go into the manor now and we get in and instead of meeting Dahlia or anybody else in the manor, the first person we're introduced to is the butler named Matthew. Now this guy's a little bit easier to, uh, to describe. Oh, he's like, geez. he's like Humpty Dumpty, uh, humanized. <laughs> With a beard. This looks like the With human beard. version of the uh, the like alien toys from like Toy Story. What? The... Very punchable, very like very puntable. Like you could probably he looks like a garden gnome. <laughs> he <laughs> looks like a garden gnome. <laughs> yeah, if you if you took this guy's silhouette, he's just a straight pear. Like Jeez, dude, you could literally ball. like take his silhouette and then go, "Is that Pooh Bear? That's Pooh Bear, right?" There's so, no way. <laughs> we meet this guy though. And he's he's the servant to the Reinhold family, and he takes us upstairs. But first, we gotta solve a puzzle because we gotta make sure we're good enough, right? Okay. We, I don't. Um. Oh, I actually. I was gonna say I don't remember this puzzle. I actually very much remember this puzzle because this is the puzzle I told you about, Scott. I want you to. I want you to try and solve this puzzle mentally. All right. This is a. <laughs> this is the puzzle that you have to do. This isn't. This isn't like an optional puzzle. This is one you literally have to do for the story. And it's unlike any other puzzle in the rest of the game. So here it is. The matches below are arranged in the shape of a dog. So it's like four matches for the body, like a match for the head, and then four matches coming off of like the bot one of the two sides, like at, at each point coming off his legs. Four four matches coming off his legs. There are matches arranged in the shape of a dog. This poor little guy was just minding his own business when a car came barreling down the road and ran him over. Move two matches to change the picture so that it shows the dog after the accident. <laughs> do, you take, do you take his legs off? You take two of them. You, you move two of those legs. You gotta move two of them. You gotta move two of something. Right, and, and going through this, Now's be a good point to kind of point out is that the puzzles don't just kind of leave you out in the middle of nowhere. Um, throughout the game, the more puzzles you solve, you get these coins. I just saw them as coins uh, that you get for that for completing puzzles like on the first go, right? Not needing multiple retries to do it. And every time that you have to retry a puzzle, you'll lose the amount of coins that you can get when you complete it. Um, I naturally got the maximum amount of coins because i'm a genius but you know i understand for someone like you scott it might take you you might not get as many um, uh, well, you know. or you could do the master plan what i did and just had a a guide the, <laughs> the whole time because i can't be bothered <laughs> to play through all these puzzles <laughs> for i if i was doing this legitimately i would probably still be here today <laughs> trying to solve these, <laughs> this stupid game but I, even though I'm following a guide, I was like, all right, this is too good. I got to know what the hints are for this. So you can spin those coins and get hints. And, and that help you along with the puzzle. 
So I was like, okay, what's what are they gonna give me for this for this puzzle? Right? Hint number one. The original shape shows the dog walking. Think about how the shape will change after the dog gets hit by the car. <laughs> Hint number two. Dogs walk on all four legs, but since this poor pooch isn't doing much walking anymore, the positions of his legs must have changed. And then finally, like by hint three, it's just like, here's the answer, you idiot. Like the dog is probably sprawled out on the pavement where it got hit. To show this, you'll need to move two of his legs or two matches. Take the two legs in the middle and bring them above his head. And so... Sorry to interrupt. Can I just say this butler has issues? Right? He looks like he has issues. So now, was... yeah, yeah, yeah. Now with now with this knowledge of what's going on in this dude's head, the puzzles this man's concocting. <laughs> look at that face. Oh my god, it's cool because his eyes don't like look at you directly. They're like a little going off in their own direction too. He's always on the lookout for his next victim, <laughs> like <laughs> for his next dog. I'm the one that ran it over. Dude, those, that's a, that is a oh stone-cold killer's face right there. Oh, my God, man. That, that, he scares me now. He scares me now. His innocent, like, lawn gnome-ass pose and everything. Oh, it's scary. It's scary. It just blew me away. They force you, like, they say, dog gets hit by car. Dog in car. Car get hit, dog. Like, they say <laughs> it so many times. And you're like, I was eight when I played this game. Like, you know, like gosh it's and then and then the best bit was like at the end of it it was like uh when you solve the puzzle it was like make sure you pay attention when you drive so you don't hit a dog <laughs> like that was the when you solve the puzzle yeah that's crazy i'm eight by the way <laughs> right <laughs> what is a car and how do i drive it nah nah i can i can hear my frustration already because <laughs> I, I tried to do it Wish the bot fucking Call of Duty, goddammit! <laughs> it would have been worse. It's like, all I wanted was Nintendogs, but they had Professor Layton. <laughs> Is this what happens when I don't buy per Nintendogs? <laughs> oh, man. Goodness. So we solve that puzzle. <laughs> we we make the dog into a splatted dog, and uh, and then the guy's like, "That's exactly what I was hoping." And takes us upstairs, where uh, Lady Dahlia is there waiting for us, along with uh, a nephew named Simon, and then some some fat lard dude who again is inconsequential to the story and thus uh, isn't good enough to make it to the show. So this is Simon. Let me go get Lady Dahlia for you. I, I skipped over her earlier, but uh -huh. but now we can show you. So Lady Dahlia and Simon. Oh, that's weird that it didn't. You have to click on the link for that one. So Lady Dahlia and Simon though are here and and uh, waiting for us, and we finally get there. Oh my goodness! Can I can I just say this this man that you posted? He he looks like an Arthur character, like the kids show Arthur. <laughs> oh, he does. He looks like yeah, an he aardvark. looks like an aardvark for like the dad or something, right? Or like grown up Arthur. I don't like him. He's got a punchable face. Very. Uh, oh my goodness. A rapper's husband. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he he he's 
He's I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like him. Immediately I don't like this guy. Which uh to describe him uh best I can here, he's got a really long nose. Like really not like Raymond level like nose of like curved. It's just like if you took like an acute angle and then made it his nose. He's pretty fucking beta because he doesn't even have a chin. Yeah, his mouth just like what happened, man? Oh no, hold on. If you case of anterior pelvic tilt like the way you no, see if you look if you look a little closer, he's got he's got a small bit of a divvy for the chin. Yeah, or like a teeny tiny little angle yeah, leading into tiny, the neck. He's got a tiny. You know what it is? This poor man only has a mouth on one side of his face. <laughs> oh, like Sonic? <laughs> like is. like every PE teacher, like that one oh, PE geez. teacher that's at every school. Oh, jeez, dude. Yeah. No. Oh, man. So Matthew as, manages a library. He the owns a library. Kid. What do you mean? He owns nah. it. Uh, Not his father the, gave it to him. County, county, oh yeah, yeah. The county owns the library. He's just a fucking manager. He's just a pawn. <laughs> He's just there. He's just pawn in the. He just showed up one day. <laughs> I own this now. Well, like, so hey. Matthew takes us upstairs, and we're we're introduced to the Simon dude, who's the nephew to the late Baron. Uh, okay. And we meet Dahlia, and you have to click on the link for her. Uh, for some reason, it didn't, it didn't pop up. But but we meet uh, Dahlia finally, and we're we're about ready to get going and like you know get into the mix of like why did she have us come you know come to the village? What what did she want us to look for? Uh-huh. But as soon as we get there, as soon as we enter the door, and we're about to do something. This big old explosion goes off outside, and it startles this cat that's that Lady Dahlia is carrying around, and the cat. You know, screeches and leaps out of the air, gets on the ground and runs out the door. And everyone just kind of like doesn't do anything about the cat. And Dahlia is now like distraught and demands that before anything else can be done, before we can search for the golden apple, before we can do anything at the manor, we got to find the stupid cat. Interesting. Already hate this fucking cat. <laughs> now I hate oh, it. Oh god! <laughs> it it looks like that one cat from the Powerpuff Girls when uh Professor Plutonium gets like uh, mind controlled. It looks like that cat. Oh my goodness! Right, and we gotta chase this cat. Guess what that cat's name? Oh no, Claudia. <sighs> right. So we gotta chase Claudia out into the town, like. We, we chase her down the stairs, and she runs out, out of the door. We chase her out the door, she runs across the pond. We go across the pond. She's in the middle of the freaking town at this point, right? And so as we follow them, we move into chapter two of the game. Uh, and aptly named The Fugitive Feline. And so this kind of has us going through, uh, we, we, like I said, we come down the stairs and we enter into the foyer of the, of the place again. And before we chase the cat out the door, uh, Leighton or, and Luke kind of look through the foyer and there are these big portraits on the side of the wall. And one of them okay. is the one of the Baron that I showed you guys earlier. But there's another portrait there. And we don't recognize who that is. And it's only until Matthew comes along and tells us 
you know, who it was and kind of gives us a little bit of background of what those paintings were that we learned that um, one of the paintings is of his daughter, Flora. And we don't know where she is. She kind of just disappeared. So now it's like, so Baron's dead. Dahlia's cat's missing. And now there's a, like, there's a, a missing child. That's just like everyone in the village is like, yeah, she's just gone. Like, that's kind of the deal. She's just not here. And so now uh, the, the, the butler gives us a puzzle piece. No, he gives us a painting, right? So there are three things in the game that are like, you can call collectibles. Um, you get them from completing puzzles or tapping like things of interest on the map screens um, other than NPCs. And it's basically just uh, you can find painting pieces, which are just puzzles that once you collect all the pieces through the game, you can put the painting together and you get a, an image. Um, there are gizmos that you'll receive, which are kind of like non puzzle items. They're just, once you get them, they go into an inventory. And then from the, that screen in your inventory, you just tap your gizmo pieces and they naturally form into uh, like a robotic little dog. Okay. And uh, there's one. Oh, uh, a little bit later on, we're going to get an end. We're going to stay at the inn. And so we're going to have rooms. Luke and Layton have rooms. And so throughout the game, as you solve puzzles and do stuff, sometimes you'll receive furniture as rewards. And then you can put them in the rooms. And part of like the 100% completion of the game is filling out the rooms of Leighton and Luke enough so that they both have maximum happiness. So that's like really like that just laid out all the collectibles that the game has, right? Okay. Man, what about my happiness? <laughs> that's, what, that's why you're playing the game. Oh, uh, this game would not have made me happy. Yeah, I'm sorry. This game would not have made me happy. Not. This game would have upset me with that like third puzzle if I ever knew what that was. Like, oh. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. I'm just going to say it now. I've already said it. I'm dumb. This game would have killed me as a kid. Well, maybe maybe at this point you would have gone a little bit more interested because as we leave the manor now and we chase after the cat down down the uh, walkway and into town, we're, we're cut away from Professor Layton and Luke for a second. And we go to this scene where we, we see uh, the tree line of a, the forest tree line and then like this smoke, you know, plume coming up out of the tree line uh, and then we see this like singed and shadowy figure with spiky hair come out of it and um and this is like the first introduction to like the antagonist um he has it out for Leighton and he wants the treasure of the town but we really don't get a name you know um we just see that plume of smoke in the background of the scenery and then we kind of get right back to Professor Leighton Okay. It's kind of a weird, like, it just kind of puts it in there, but it's like just to, it's to keep the thread going for the rest of the game because it gets more and more important and it, it just kind of makes sense. Just kind of keep that note that, like, he showed up kind of right after we chased after the cat. Like, that's kind of an important timeline thing. All right. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, he shows so, up. Got it. Got yeah, it. <laughs> essentially, he shows up. <laughs> um, Leighton and Luke head into town uh, to the center to chase after Claudia. And we see Franco at this point, uh, if you remember the drawbridge operator. And he's just fuming about something. And apparently, someone has sabotaged the drawbridge. And it's fixed in the upright position. So, we are now stuck in St. Myster- uh, Mystere. And we can't get out. So we got a good thing we came to solve puzzles, but we are stuck inside the village. Um, and as we keep running through the city, cat keeps eluding us this time running off into the Western part of the town. So we have to find, um, we have to find an old lady at this point. And, and, and I say find, but she's just kind of like there on the street and you like, It'd be kind of one of you know when you know when you watch like old cartoons and it's done like on Sarah cells, so anything that the characters interact with is drawn in a different way or colored differently than the rest of the background. Right. That's how the NPCs look in the game. Okay. It's like very clearly like oh you're someone to click on and interact with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is like when you're watching a cartoon and you see like a boulder in the back. And you're like, oh, that boulder's gonna get destroyed. Exactly. <laughs> or like, or like that <laughs> one Dragon can, or that one book, or like on the shelf that the that they're gonna pull out. Oh uh, yeah, the interactable object. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is the old lady that that we meet, like the most generic old like person ever. Um, but she gives us an important item. She gives us fish bones, and with those fish bones, we're able to kind of coerce claudia to come near us and not run away and we're able to capture so it was a pretty oh. simple pretty simple little jaunt through the city and uh and so as soon as we get the cat very quickly we head right on back to the manor um and we head upstairs but as we do we find a new person in the scene a man calling himself inspector chelme <sighs> and here i'll type Oh, it's this looking dude. Yeah. So how would you oh, describe this no. guy? Professor he... in, No, Inspector Chelmy. Chelmy. Okay. Well, first off, the most notable thing is his hair, right? It looks like he hasn't left like his scene phase for some reason. Um, this guy definitely it's... goes home and listens to some MCR. Absolutely. Absolutely. MCR like the first album of Panic at the Disco, one of the two. One of the two. Um he's in a he's in a, a, a like puke green suit. That does not compliment anything at all. And he's got the biggest mustache I've seen on an NPC. He's got like his mustache. It's like a croissant on his face, <laughs> just covering his mouth, dude. A what? What croissant. was that, Carl? A croissant. Carl? What was that? Oh, my bad. Croissant. There you go. <laughs> well, this guy's oh, he's in. He's got the tiniest nose, too. What's wrong with his yeah. genetics? His He's here, though, and he is. um. He's calling the whole place a crime scene. He's calling the whole manor a crime scene. Oh, goodness. And in, somehow in that short time that we took to chase after Claudia and us getting back to the manor, apparently someone murdered Simon. Uh, oh. So Simon is dead. Oh. I get this is a kid's game, but I think even at eight years old, I could have I suspected that guy had it fucking coming. 
<laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Deserved it. I mean, what probably after the first two puzzles, I would have been like, man, fuck Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so Fuck you and your library. Fuck you. Well, for <sighs> some reason, though, even though we've been running around chasing a cat, and, like, the, the crime, this murder happened between us going out into the town and coming back. This Inspector Chelmy thinks that we are suspects. He he fully believes that Leighton or Luke, I guess, this little kid, are, are prime suspects for the murder. And so he, he goes off into another room and he instructs us that, like, one by one, he wants us all to come into the room for questioning. And so we wait for our turn, and we talk to Matthew, and Matthew tells us that he didn't even know that Simon was dead until the inspector got there and carried the body of Simon out of the room. Oh. What? So, like, the, the, the butler of the place, who knows everything about the manor, had no idea. And, and apparently this inspector oh. got a call to come to the, to the manor. For this murder. Very weird. So now the inspector comes out of the room. And it's only now that everyone else kind of notices the disappearance of Ramon. So now this weird dude that they gave us the wolf puzzle. Now he's gone missing. So we have a dead Simon. And now Ramon goes missing. And the, the inspector thinks Ramon is fleeing the scene of the crime. Right? And he sets out to go find him. So he leaves. And so now it's just Leighton and Dahlia and Matthew and, and one other fat, large piece of dude in the corner that we don't talk about because <laughs> he's in, <laughs> inconsequential. So now Lady Dahlia asks us to, instead of, uh, now that we've found her cat and she's elated about that, she wants us to prove Ramon is innocent because, because now the idea is that he did the crime. He killed Simon and is running. He's on the run. But if you remember, he has nowhere to go because the drawbridge is broken. So he's somewhere in the town. And so she wants us to make sure that he's innocent, prove his innocence. Um, so we need to go find him in the city, find him in the town and, and, and whatnot before Chelmy can. But there's a framed picture on, uh, on, one, of the, on one of the counters and Leighton, it piques Leighton's interest. And it's a painting of Lady Dahlia with a child, you know, carrying a child. And Matthew's in the scene. And there's also this old woman that we met earlier. Her name's Ingrid. Okay. It's probably going to be a tiny little picture. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is up with everyone's noses? You can't see it because we're, we're sharing this all on our Discord. But every single <laughs> one of these characters is very, very stylized. In a, in a way that is very unique, but also very schnoz heavy. Very, very schnoz she's heavy. Got a, she's oh, got a, like, she actually looks like she has a knife for a nose. <laughs> Doesn't it? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think she's the one that did it by turning around <laughs> and killing Simon. Hecked everybody to death. Oh, goodness. It seems Simon's dead. Who could have done it? Oh, my goodness, dude. That's insane. <laughs> Well, she's not at the manor, though. We have to go find her. And that's kind okay. of the next mission. We got we to gotta go find Ingrid now. But Matthew, along with, with telling us who Ingrid is, also kind of informs us that Lady Dahlia wasn't the first wife. Lady Dahlia was actually the second wife 
to the oh. Baron. And that the woman in the image that we see, the one that looks like Lady Dahlia, is in fact the first wife of the Baron and not Lady Dahlia. And that Lady Dahlia only became his wife, his second wife, uh, after the passing of the first wife, the Baron, I say the Baron, it's just Baron, that's his name. Baron went out into the world, I guess, in a mourning or you know, something like that. He, he left the village after the passing of his first wife. And when he returned, he was already married to his second wife, a, a near identical twin to his first wife. Wow. That's a little sleazy. I'm not going <laughs> to Yeah, Just a little bit, right? A little bit. <laughs> hey, sister's dead. Do you want to get back? But I mean, know, it's not her twin sister, but it's like, you know, it's someone that looks only, a spitting image, right? Yeah, that's insane, dude. He has issues. I'm sorry. That man had issues. That man had issues. But there's not really much for us to learn because uh, Lady Dahlia calls for Matthew. And he is he is like the words you can't say on Twitch. <laughs> he is he is whipped and and leashed on a on very, very short collar. Or has, <laughs> okay. yeah. has a collar connected to a very short leash. He she calls for him and he just zip, 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 runs away from us and uh, we can't ask any more questions. We can't learn anything more. So we huh. we have to go find um we have to go find Ingrid and we got to learn more about what's going on. And so we're basically left with nothing else to do except for you know walk around town and try and get some more information. And this is the this is a point that we walk back into the main part of town. And there's a dude standing in front of the clock tower and we can tap on him and he tells us we can go through the clock tower, but only if we, if we've solved 12 puzzles <laughs> it, in a row. No, no, just total. Oh, it's like, this is, and this is kind of like a, a hard walls that the game presents to you. Like you cannot progress further in the game unless you've solved 12 puzzles. And, okay. and further on, we'll have another like kind of obstacles where you can't pr progress unless you've solved like 60 puzzles. You can't oh, gotcha. if, you, if you solve gotcha. 78 okay. puzzles. So it's kind of like the uh, the star system in exactly uh, Mario. Exactly like, like the star system. Okay. Exactly okay. like the star system. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, of course, uh, Master Solver Extraordinaire uh, solved them all <laughs> flawlessly. <laughs> so we're like... Pfft. We're way in the positive on that. So he's just like, oh my God, you solved them all. And we just walk right on through. And we talk to a couple locals in the street. And they kind of point us in the direction to go get some more information to where we find might, might find some more rumors. Uh, we could go down to the restaurant. And we could chit-chat with the, uh, the barkeep or the owner named Crouton. That's probably the easiest name in this game. Outside probably. of Professor Layton. Now, there's Crouton for you. Oh, he looks like a Crouton. He... I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> looking character I've ever laid eyes on. He looks like a Crouton. Just the most basic bare bones. Hey, you want some fish with that sound? <laughs> oh, well, as, as crumbly and, and flaky of a character <laughs> as he looks, he does give us a little bit of good information. He tells us okay. that there seems to be this rumor floating around that this old man has been kidnapping people, which seems to be something that would 
probably be on the radar a little bit more than just a rumor. Just a little bit of tea you can spill. Like, some dude's kidnapping people. Or so I heard. Like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, what's new, right? But that's a, that's about ex- the extent of Crouton's, uh, you know, uh, knowledge. Just about as much as a real crouton, right? You a nice initial crunch, and then it's just dust. <laughs> like that's crouton. Poor guy. He's got Poor one guy. good crunch, and then he's useless. So born to be named crouton. Let's <laughs> suck, right? <laughs> but but he tells us if we want to learn some more, you know, there's there's some like we can go up the ladder a little bit of the rumor mill. We can go to the bar or the cafe, as the game calls it, but it's a bar. Okay. We can go to the bar and maybe learn a little bit more. And and now we enter into chapter four. I skipped chapter three. Don't know where it started. Didn't write it in my notes. It never <laughs> happened. We're going into chapter four now. <laughs> called Night Falls. And so we, we find, we go through the clock tower again. Go to the north part of town. Enter into the cafe bar. And we talk to the bartender. And he tells us that a guy, I I put kid. I put like kid with a question mark. like. Uh-huh. kid <laughs> uh he informs us that a kid named prosciutto lives nearby and saw a strange kidnapper the other day so it's kind of like very coincidental it's all falling into place for us and so then we leave the bar we go find prosciutto's place um and when we walk in this is what this is why i called it a kid because um well this is what prosciutto looks like. Could you uh, tell me what that looks like? Oh, God. Oh, God. What's the best example to compare this guy to? Um, oh, Jesus. A budget uh, link cosplay. I would say he looks like Budget Tingle with a bunch of crumbs on his face. <laughs> he looks I, like a kid from like Charlie and the I Chocolate mean, looks Factory, like a kid. right? Yeah. He he straight up looks like one of the kids that would like eat the chocolate against like Charlie's will in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like straight up. Charlie's will. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie owns the factory now, don't you remember? I was thinking more like he kind of looks like a please sir, could I have some more kind of child. He is not one of those kids because when you walk into his house, he's literally like just stuffing his face with food. And when you talk to him, he's you're talking to him like through like him stuffing his face, right? Oh god. So annoying. And he tells us that some dude kidnapped that he saw a kidnapper um just the other day. Just the other day. He saw a kidnapper, um, and he tells us exactly kind of where he saw that old man kidnapper six feet in front of his his front door. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a kidnapper out there? I think so. Okay. Yeah, like maybe he saw it like through the people. He's like watching people get <laughs> abducted. He's just like, <laughs> like... <laughs> Hoinker, hoing, ho. <laughs> wow, this TV show is great. So oh, like, man. luckily, it's so close because we walk right outside, and um, and and this kidnapper is the dumbest because he did the number one rule you don't do, which is return to the scene of the crime. Oh, you fool. You fool. Because, like, we go, like, walk out the door, closes, and then, like, we go, er, turn left. Hey, there's the old man. (laughs) (laughs) Can you describe him? Yeah, he looks like that guy. (laughs) Oh, he is that guy. 
Okay. <laughs> it literally, it's the old man who's kidnapping people around town. And he has a giant sack thrown over his shoulder that's partly uh, open. Go, okay. And, and I had to remind myself it was a children's game. It's a children's <laughs> game. About, about running over dogs and what they look like afterwards. And now a guy oh, kidnapping this dude. And he has his sack open. He's running away from us. There's, this is actually like an animated cutscene, by the way. There are there's about I think like ten minutes total of animated cutscenes in the game. This is one of them. Mm-hmm. And inside of the sack, we can see Ramon in the sack, unconscious, and the guy is running away from us, dragging the sack behind him. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> so, you know, we we do what any good hero does and okay. we give chase and we go running after this old man in the sack of Ramon running through the town. We uh, do the unhero thing and completely lose him <laughs> completely lose an old man to a running battle up and down stairs with a sack and a dude in it. Agile heroes. Are we? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're the brains, not the bronze. <laughs> And so uh, even though we lose this old man and Ramon, we saw it. We know what we saw, and we're very confident in that. But Uh instead of going straight to the inspector, we return back to the scene of the crime where it was. The the chase kind of wrapped itself a background, and and now we're back at where we were when we first saw him. And this was something I didn't point out earlier, and it's it's very important I do this now. But on the scene of the crime, we – we find, or where we saw Ramon and this old man, we find a small, teeny tiny little gear. What's important is we find this gear here, but we also found this gear earlier, a very similar gear, in the, in the place where Simon was, was killed. We found a gear there as well. I, met, I left this out, maybe a downfall of my own storytelling. So now this is the second time we find one of these gears in the you know in the place where a kidnapping or murder had taken place and so with this gear in hand we now return to the manor and we we want to go inside to tell the inspector right we return with the gear and we're going to tell the inspector of ramon's abduction and as we do we we enter into the building and there's chelmy waiting for us there's dahlia waiting for us and everybody else is gone and when we tell chelmy we're like hey bro we just saw Ramon get kidnapped. He goes into this flying frenzy of how we're trying to sabotage the city, about how we're trying to incite hysteria into its villagers, and that we were trying to like create an uprising or to, to create some sort of distraction so that we could steal the golden apple or do something nefarious. He's, he uh-huh. is livid that we come up with this idea. But Leighton is, is like, hard-pressed. He's like, no, dude, there's a kidnapper in the city. We need to, like, rally the whole village, get everybody up and going. We're going to find this guy tonight. And the inspector's like, you need to stop doing that. You know, just. <laughs> um, and he, he's having none of it. And so it's during this argument, it's going back and forth, back and forth. We need to get the village going. No, we don't. That's too much. It's hysteria. There's a knock on the door. And everything stops and we turn to the door and in through the doorway, not a hair out of place, the 
mutated body of Ramon. Oh. Did he get turned into an aardvark? No, he's, he is exactly as he was the earlier that day when we solved that wolf puzzle for him. And he, he, in fact, he walks into the place and he assures us, he gives us an alibi. He tells us that he was at the market all day. What? Right? And Luke, right? Luke is how you feel. He's like, wait a minute. This is bullshit. This is, and then Leighton's like, no, no, Luke. And Leighton goes, kind of owns up. He's like, oh, it looks like we're wrong. You were right. Well, we'll be off. <laughs> and it's like, we're going to go to bed now. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> and the inspector's like, yeah, you should go to bed. We don't need two, two sleep-deprived, puzzle-solving miscreants in our city. Like, that was like verbatim from the game. Wow. Right? And so we go to bed, we go back to the inn, we go to sleep. Okay. When we wake up, Beatrice... Like that name alone is already bad, but oh jeez, oh jeez, <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, this lady. <laughs> so Beatrice, the innkeeper, um, gets us up early. We we meet her early uh, earlier in the game when we came to the inn to get a place. Uh, she informs uh, Luke and Leighton that Chelmy has called into the inn and has requested their presence at the manor for a very urgent matter, right? And so we, with post haste, we make it to the manor and we arrive and like we walk in and we can hear him berating the butler. He's oh. going off on this dude and he's telling him, I hate sweets. And as soon as I see them, my stomach churns the rumblies. He's he's all he's being weird with the butler because the butler brought him candy. I don't know what this means. I truly do not understand what this means. I have played the game. I'm speaking to you from further down the timeline as <laughs> me who has played me. I don't know why he hates sweets. It's never brought up again. It's it's probably brought up in the other games, but it's never touched upon again. It's a one-off moment. But it was memorable. Uh, but the reason that he's called us to the manor is to tell us that we need to stop snooping around. That the case is not ours, it's his, and that we need to, like, drop it, right? Okay. And not going like, do that, but okay. Well, it, well, yeah, we are. Like, well, we're not here to solve his case. We're not here to solve no. a murder. We're here to find the golden apple. Like, sure thing, dude. Like... That's how it ends up being. Layton's like, of course. Like, it's your case, not mine. I'm not going to try and step on your case. It's yours. Mm -hmm. And as we're kind of like on our way back of just kind of being scolded. Like, that's all he called us up there was like, you need to stop it. And we're like, okay. He's like, dismissed. <laughs> like, thanks, dude. Like, could have said that in email, you know? Yeah. Um, And so we start heading back to the town. And as... Again, there's kind of this running thing. Like every time we're about to leave the manor, something happens or we, we learn something new. And as we're leaving the manor this time, we talk to the uh, Ramon and he's standing out front and he has literally no recollection of last night, like not of being kidnapped or anything. Like, in fact, it's kind of like his memory doesn't even exist past like a week ago. It, it, something really fishy is going on. 
And then we talked to the butler again. He's out there as well. And we talked to him and he's telling us that for some reason he can't leave the manor. Like he's not allowed to leave the grounds. And I guess that's because he's like the only butler for the place. Mm-hmm. And that if he had a little bit more help, he would like be able to do more stuff and leave and talk to us more. Um, and he alludes uh, to like wishing that Ingrid was back. And this is like where we formally kind of get her name and understand that she, uh, Ingrid, this old lady that we've met before, used to actually help out at the manor as well. And and when the first wife was raising the, the daughter, Flora, who's gone missing, when she was raising her, Ingrid was there and Matthew was there to help kind of take care of her and be like a nanny and stuff like that. And since Flora's gone, Ingrid hasn't had any reason to be at the manor. And thus, Matthew hasn't had a whole lot of help. Mm-hmm. And so it's, he kind of tells us that we should go find Ingrid. We should go see, she, you know, she used to work here. She might know more about, you know, p- people from back then in the past when the Baron was still alive. So might be something to go off of. And then okay. he has to go running off because Dahlia calls for him again. And, you know, duty calls, I suppose. And then <laughs> he leaves and, and goes to do his thing. Yeah. And then we take two steps. <laughs> like, we take literally, like, two steps out the door. And Ingrid is waiting for us. <laughs> She's just there. Like, like you called? And... Oh, Aren't we just Mr. Popular in this town? Yeah, very, very, very coincidental. But she's just there waiting for us. And so we're able to talk to her. And she tells us that the Baron Reinhold really just adored Flora, his daughter. And when his wife passed, he gave her twice the affection that, you know, that she received by any one of them alone, made up for the parents passing. And but when Leighton inquires about her whereabouts, you know, where Flora is, she has no answer. Um, instead, she tells us that Flora left a long time ago and stopped working. And after that, she stopped working at the manor. And she then tells us of a rumor that Lady Dahlia threw Flora out on the streets after the Baron's death so that she could keep all the money and wealth to herself. That's a pretty big accusation to throw around. Yeah, that's not a light one to throw. That's a, that's a, oof, wow. But apparently not to Ingrid, because she just goes like, bah, 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 and she just like bats <laughs> it away. She's like, yeah, but that's not real. That's just the fairy tales. It's like, oh, okay. Like, if you say so yeah it's really kind of like all that's a little bit of fluff because we get to the final bit of information at the very end and that's the most important and she tells us about the late wife's grave in the manor garden which we didn't know about until now and so it's you know as we're standing there and we we move the screen one screen out matthew is now heading out to go to the grave and so we're like hey man let's go to the grave together he's like and so he's like (laughs) Sure, let's go to the grave together. And he starts telling us more about uh, the past. This is where we're finally told the name of the late wife, the first wife. And her name was Lady Violet. And so Matthew kind of tells us how when she was younger, uh, she would take Flora out to the park in the village um, when she was raising her. And it was in this sort of moments of reminiscing about the past and Flora and Lady Violet and Baron that he suddenly remembers that the Baron kept a journal and that the journal may contain information about the Golden Apple's location. And I could only just think at the time of like, when I was playing, this was like, 
thanks, dude. <laughs> That's all. Like, Outstanding memory you got there. Fantastic. I'm glad we're now wow. getting to this. <laughs> <laughs> so then, then this is kind of like a weird scene. We, so we, we learn this. And so we go back into the manor. And we we're like a it really does feel like a pair of like weirdos creeping around a house that's not yours while it's empty. Like Oh yeah, yeah. Cause we go through like Lady Dolly's like parlor room and then we go into this other room where there's a study and then we pull out the journal and we're like reading through the journal, you know, trying to learn about what's going on. And as we read, we learn like um inside the Baron wrote about like the scent of Violet, his late wife, being shared with with something else and that whatever whatever was sharing that that similar uh smell and scent uh flora was kind of really scared of that thing and then he Aww. and he mentions the the phrase about like changing memories and and stuff like that so it really seems like when you read it, it seems a lot like he's got this new wife and he's got this new kid and this kid who's not really, you know, warming up to her. And be- mainly because he looks so much like the old, like, you know, the mom that died. Like, yeah, pretty weird. This is a kid's game, by the way. This is a kid's game. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. We missed out. We, we missed out. <laughs> but as we, as we keep flipping through the journal and reading it, we get to this page where, it kind of lays out that the Baron had a really good friend in town that would visit a lot and that he told that friend where the golden apple is located. And so if we can figure out who that friend is, we can then figure out where the golden apple is. And, and that's really it. There's not a whole lot else to go on. It's just that. And so we go back into the town and we start asking around, seeing who knows about this stuff, who was friends with it, uh, you know, with the Baron and stuff like that. We, we ask Ingrid first, and she tells us that she doesn't really remember much, but she does remember one person who kept coming around uh, back in the day one, that she, you know, maybe considered maybe was a friend of, the, of Baron, a guy named Zapone or Zapone. Oh, God, where's his mouth? Oh, my God, there it is. And in his this guy's art, it looks like he has only one like mustache tough. He, it doesn't. He looks like a Muppet character. He's got also he's got like he's got like uh, what is it salad finger? <laughs> you know like oh god got, oh no you're right no I don't like him I don't well, like him uh. yeah this guy apparently visited from time to time uh, with the Baron and so. He's kind of like our best lead, and so we're we're kind of setting out into the city to go find this guy. Okay. And Jesus, to make a to make a sh- a long search short, uh, he's useless. He's absolutely useless. He's oh, he doesn't God. he doesn't give us any good information, um, and we are literally left just walking around the town asking people again. Like that's that's how useful he is. He doesn't even give us a lead anywhere else. He he is he is an endly he is a dead end, um, oh, but luckily it doesn't take us very long to kind of get onto a new lead, um, and we learn that there is a large like the tower in the city. Remember that thing? Remember the giant janky tower from the beginning? Yeah, <laughs> the looming scary like, <laughs> right decrepit old tower. Yeah, how could I forget? Well, that thing has been making a ton of ruckus as of late and whenever the loud bangs kind of ring out from the uh, from the tower 
that's a signaling that somebody in the town is going to go missing. All right, so these loud noises from the tower, people go missing, old man, take them. A lot of questions. And, and so we keep searching around town, keep solving puzzles along the way. And Layton eventually gets stopped by, by a guy called uh, Giuseppe. Or Giuseppe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Giuseppe. Yeah, Giuseppe. He looks like a Giuseppe. Giuseppe's cool. Like, I would want this guy on my team. Like, this guy looks like he could, he could beat a couple like monsters you know what i mean so to describe his appearance um i take it back his mustache is the longest one I've <laughs> he is, <seen. laughs> he's got oh like he's got like an octopus on his face for a mustache he looks like it's the dad from a curtain cloudy with the chance of meatballs with this mustache <laughs> and eyeballs hello look at his fist man that fist I looks know. like a, a that's so detailed why <laughs> compared to these other characters why is it so detailed so get this, though. This guy is like a vendor in the town uh, that you pass and can talk to, but he doesn't really play much in the story, except for right now, where he gives us a vase. What's it do, though? Nothing. <laughs> he, he, he interrupts us as we walk by, and he goes, Hey, Leighton, dude, sir, I have a vase for you. Some some dude told me to give it to you. Here, Leighton takes it and goes like, "Uh, I didn't order a vase." He goes, "Oh, really?" And then he takes the vase back, and now what? we don't have a vase. What? And the whole while this interaction happens, a shadowy figure standing in the alleyway with pointy hair, kind of watching us. Okay. And then we turn around. <laughs> we're like we're done with Giuseppe now. He's done. Like that's it. That was his big moment, giving us a vase that we give I, back. I think the guy in the shadows did it. I think I think it's him. No, just just uh, just a uh, just a hunch. Well, what he didn't do was uh-huh. place a newspaper on the ground that when we turn around we find, and oh. in the newspaper as we look through it, it's actually an an old newspaper about. Tell me about the inspector. And as we, yeah, as we read through it, it's becoming very clear that the Chelmy in this newspaper article is nothing like Chelmy in the manner that that we're talking to and interacting with. Um, and and the article itself actually kind of it has a picture of him, and it shows Chelmy with this big old smile, and he's uh, standing there with his wife. Uh, I'm. Is it? I think it's just Emily or Emily. It's E M E L I E. I think that is Emily. But this is his wife, Emily, right? Okay. And so it's it's an article about that, and that's really it. We learn a little bit more about Chelmy, and that maybe the Chelmy is something has changed with him. You know, I I when I played through this, I was like, oh, he lost his wife. He must, you know, he must have. Something tragic happened to Chelmy. Now he's this rough and grumpy old man, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when we get done with the paper, we kind of fold it up, put that bad boy away. There's a new dude who's stopping us in front of the, uh, uh, in, in like the same place that Giuseppe just was. Okay. And this guy <laughs> looks like this. What is him? <laughs> I don't know what his name is, but in my in my outline right here, 
his name in my outline is potato looking dude oh god oh god what's wrong with him it actually oh. looks like he's in pain <laughs> he looks like he looks, he like, looks like he's, he's in like, a lot ah. of pain dude. just oh no <laughs> you need to get me my tablets no oh god dude oh god dude. every other character looks fine and then you've got this re-dead looking old man over here holy shit. yeah from the legend of zelda the re-deads this guy though apparently is the baron's old friend this is this is the old friend that the baron talked about in his journal uh that that knows the location of the golden apple this is like a huge find he just randomly shows up and introduces himself to us as the old friend this is a really kind of one of those parts i was like well they're just moving along right now because he takes us back to his house where he shows us a desk that the Baron had when he was like alive. And then Uh we, it's through examining the desk that we find a piece of paper that has an X on it. And we've, and that's when it's like, it dawns on you. Like he didn't tell him where the golden apple was. He gave him a piece of paper with an X on it that needs to be deciphered to figure out where the golden apple is. Huh? Right. Uh, Beatrice calls the friend, right? This potato man. Beatrice calls him and says, Hey, uh, Leighton and Luke are wanted at the end. Like, can you get them over here as soon as possible? And we, we bounce on over to the inn. And she tells us that the inn has been broken into. And as we look around, it's, it's all disheveled. She said it was uh, broken into and it was involving the strange pointy haired figure. Apparently, we find out that he was the other person staying at the end. He's the reason that Professor Layton and Luke had these dinky little rooms is because this guy had the other room. And he's been skipping out on his bills. And he trashed the room like a like an 80s rock band. <laughs> so now Beatrice is like, guys, you got to go find this dude so that he can pay his bills. And Layton, immediately on the top of his head, he goes, I know where we need to search. The one place that everyone doesn't want to go to, the one place everyone's afraid of, uh-huh. the, the place that we haven't been to yet, that's been looming over us the entire time. It's the tower. It's the tower. We got to go to the tower. And so we start heading in the direction. It's in the north of town. We head to the north of the town. We start going through, and we pass through a couple people, and we get to like as close to the tower as we can possibly get, but there's a problem. A wall has been built going straight across. You cannot get to the tower. It's impossible. There's a wall blocking us. And as we reach that wall, before we can like investigate the wall, maybe it's a false wall, maybe it's a doorway, who knows? But before we can investigate it, we're interrupted by a young woman who kind of surprises us, sneaks up on us from behind. That's what the woman looks like. Oh, very mysterious. Very Very mysterious. mysterious. Very mysterious. Now, you can't see it, but she's wearing, like, a shawl over her head. She's wearing, like, sunglasses at night because she can, because she can. She basically is about to tell us something. You can tell that she wants to come out. She wants to tell us something. But then a figure out of sight of Leighton and Luke in the alleyway kind of shifts and, like, snickers to itself. And um, and it scares the girl off, and she goes running off into the city. And, uh, again, we lose her. We don't track her very long because mm-hmm. where she was standing... She left a piece of paper. 
And as the as the the detective and the boy get there to look at it, we find out the piece of paper is actually a ticket to a Ferris wheel. Oh, and no one failed to mention this at all in this town. Right? Where's a Ferris wheel located? Yeah, where? How big is the town, and where's this Ferris wheel? Well, on the west side of the town, something I've been kind of get, haven't mentioned is that it was blocked. It was a dead end, and at the dead end was a gate that was led into the park and you just weren't able to get into there and every time you went there during the game it wouldn't allow you to go any further and there wouldn't be any sort of prompt on how to get in or that you could get in until now and since we have the ticket and we can see the ferris wheel in the park Layton finally suggests to us that maybe we should go to the town hall and see if we can't get them to open up the gates and thus, we come into contact with the worst NPC in the game. I don't remember his name. He is so annoying, dude. That's Rodney. Holy shit, dude. This, this is the stereotypical, like, nerd. Right? Indeed. Well, he's, he's basically like, we go up to him and we're like, hey, um... Can you help us get into the amusement park? And he's the guy that goes like, oh, it's not my job. There's a guy that does that. Cool. Where is he? I don't know. It's not my job. I don't, it's not my job to know where everybody's at. Like, he's that type of guy. Oh, right? Super yeah. annoying. What we get out of him, we, what we tell him to get out of there as fast as we possibly can. What we learn is that the dude who's supposed to, like, oversee the, uh, the village or, or the park is also doing the sewers. So... We finally have what is what I'm calling the obligatory sewer section of any video game worth their salt has to have a sewer section. And here's our sewer section. So we go down there and it's pretty quick. We go down there. We find a dude named Sylvian. Uh, here's what that guy looks like. Um, scumbag. That guy looks like a fucking scumbag. <laughs> well, he's no, in the he sewers. looks like a nice guy. He looks nah, like he a looks nice like guy. He's, he's just creeping around like in the, the corner of a street flipping a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh well, he's he's fixing some pipes, but he's inept, and so we have to solve a puzzle for him, and now the pipes are fixed. Um and he unlocks we the gates. Know, we all know what he really uses that monkey wrench for. Breaking kneecaps. <laughs> he's the one that's been kidnapping everybody. Yeah, he's the murderer. We solved it. Book him, boys. Well, <laughs> um, he unlocks the, the 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 park for us, unlocks the gates, and we're able to go in. And the first thing we notice is that there's a weathered poster on on like a marquee, and it very it shows a very clear image of Flora on it, uh, the, the you know the Baron's daughter. So it shows Flora on this poster. Um, and Leighton pieces it all together very quickly. And if you remember, if you go back, there was a point that it talked about, uh, Matthew had talked about Lady Violet and how she enjoyed going to the park and, and playing in the park with Flora when she was still alive. That park that she was talking about is this amusement park that we are now walking through. And since the death of the wife and the missing Flora, the park hasn't been used by anybody in the village. It's been locked up and slowly decaying over time. And so as, as we make this kind of this walk through the park, um, we're in a, you know, we, we go into a scene where we find 
uh, kind of abandoned carnival booths and where there would be like, you know, games or food being made. It's just empty booths now. And there's like a circus tent and it's empty. And we go to the other side of the park and there's this big lake and, but there's like a locked shed in the lake. Like no one's using it. And then finally we get to the big Ferris wheel. Like the whole point, it matches up with the Ferris wheel on the ticket and it's the one. And this is where we get another big cutscene Cause as we approach the giant Ferris wheel, it kind of, you know, it hinges on its, on its pivot point oh, and its geez. girders. And then it, it pops off and starts rolling after Leighton and Luke. And so Luke and Leighton are, are running through the park and the, this Ferris wheel is rolling after them and they're, they're running and they're like, there's no way this thing is chasing us. So they make this really quick left turn down this going down the street and the, the Ferris wheel curves around the turn and continues to follow them. And so they run and run and run and they basically, they, they jump out of the way uh, as they reach the lake and the Ferris wheel crashes into the, the locked shed and splashes into the lake. Um, and we get this really, really short cutaway of this pointy haired villainy figure being all angry that his, his plan was foiled by the detective and the kid puts away like this controller and is all huffing and puffing as he, he exits the scene. And so we go into this shed now that's, that's broken Right, and we're able to go in, and we find this passageway that leads around the corner in this dark area, and we find a very like Resident Evil. We find this dark passageway, and at the end, there's a doorway, and we open the door, and we go in, and there's a very like nondescript room, but there's a painting, and as we interact with it, we find this area behind the painting with a key, and the key, very much Resident Evil, and the key has a big insignia on the top of it. And can you guess what that insignia is? Oh, uh, is it a gear? It's not a gear. It's a nickel. At the top of the key is a big insignia or a big icon of the tower that looms above the town. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Oh, good God, man. It's just, it's, you just gotta go to the tower, guys. So now, now the game starts to pick up. We start really quickly now approaching what is the home stretch of the game. Okay. But before we can get to the tower, Leighton wants to make one more quick stop. He wants to go back to the inn because he has a question for Beatrice. He asks her if she has any of the newspapers from the previous days, you know, for like the guests that would be staying in the, in the inn. And as she goes into the back to retrieve them, there's a sudden realization that she has no newspapers. Not today's, not yesterday's. She has no newspapers whatsoever. Mm. I think she did it. And so as we're asking for these papers, Ramon shows up at the inn. He's fetching us both Luke and Leighton uh, for Lady Dahlia and the inspector. And so we go back to the manor and on our way there, we're stopped by that mysterious woman that we saw earlier uh, that, gave, that showed us the ticket, right? Gave us that lead. And this time she talks to us and she tells us not to interfere. And then she bolts again before we can do anything. And just kind of with nothing left to do, like, okay, cool, bye. Luke and Leighton go to the manor. And the inspector this time is waiting for us and he immediately... Names Leighton the murderer of Simon. 
seems reasonable. And he, yeah, he lays out all the forensic evidence uh, that points straight at us. The biggest one being is this vase that was used to murder Simon was left at the scene of the crime and it has all of Leighton's fingerprints on it. Hot thing. Really now? And so with this bubbling piece of hot evidence, Chelmy takes that vase and smashes it on the ground and demands an alibi from Leighton. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I did do it. That's my alibi. Layton lay down the law, man. He, he's not having any of this shit. And uh-huh. he's like, not only does he give a valid alibi, he goes, he starts poking holes in Chelmy's investigation. Ooh. And then he adds insult to injury. He accuses the inspector of hiding something from the case altogether. See, Layton asks the name of Chelmy's wife. And when he responds, Chelmy calls his wife Amy. And Layton pulls out the newspaper and is like, look at this. Your wife's name is Emily, not Amy. But probably the most important piece of evidence that Layton points out is that he and Luke required the drawbridge to be lowered in order to enter the village. And then that very drawbridge was broken later today when they were searching for Claudia, which means that there was no way for anyone other than Leighton and Luke to enter the village. And in the same token, that meant that no one, uh, that nothing could be taken out of the village. And this is so important because they have lost the body of Simon. And so if Leighton was the one that killed Simon and disposed of his body, how could he get rid of the body if he could not leave the city in which he killed him in? He then flips the tables. He goes in after the inspector, laying out that the inspector's plans were to infiltrate the manor, to watch over Leighton and Luke, and wait until the moment that they knew of the golden apple and had it in hand, at which point he could be there to charge Leighton and Luke with the crimes, take the golden apple, and get the inheritance for himself. Ooh, tell him, Leighton. Tell him, Leighton. It's at this moment, as... Chelmy realizes that his plans are completely fooled, that he rips off the mask that he's been wearing the whole time and reveals that he is in fact Don Paolo, the self-proclaimed Leighton's arch enemy uh, that Leighton has never heard of before. <laughs> and Don Paolo, yeah, he, he shows himself to everybody and then he jumps out a window and is gone. And everyone kind of collectively goes, huh, all right, what about that golden apple? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding, because the next scene, we're heading right on back up to that tower and trying to get in. Like, Don Paolo is just kind of, like, out of the picture now. Uh And so we go up to the wall in the north part of town where the tower is located, right? And we have this puzzle we have this key, not a puzzle. We have this key that we found with the insignia on it. And as we examine the wall where we can't get past, we find a teeny little keyhole that when you in, put the key in and turn it, the wall parts and we can get into the tower now. Now, here's, the, here's kind of the funny business. So as we enter into the tower, first thing that happens, floor breaks below our feet and we fall into the basement. Ah, Oh, we, we weren't allowed, I'm sorry, we weren't allowed to go into the tower, by the way, unless we had solved 75 puzzles. 
So between throughout this whole story, you've solved a minimum of seventy five puzzles. <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs> oh my god! Are you joking with that? No. Oh uh, wow! And so as we fall into the basement, we we are coming face to face with a wall of portraits of all the villagers in the town, and next to each portrait is a key, which I can only assume is to their house. I can only assume, because we don't know. We never find out. And all around the, re- the room as well, so we find the porch with all the people and the keys, but around all the room, there's also a bunch of electronics and machines and, and a lot of equipment that has no description for what it could be used for, just that it, it's there. A lot of equipment and machinery is there. And when we climb the stairs to get out of the basement, we run into a man who is the exact dude that we chased after that one night who was kidnapping Ramon. And it turns out, yeah, it turns out this old man's name is Bruno. Yep. I mean, what? I was Tommy Chong, but yeah. <laughs> He's got the exact face of like, oh shit. You know, right? Like he just stole. So he's got that exact face on him too. That's kind of how I imagined him. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, somebody left this sack out here, (laughs) and uh, you know, I was just moving it. I'm just doing as a good citizen, cleaning the town, moving the sack. Yeah, you know, I'd hate for uh, somebody to get hurt on all this stuff. This valuable, valuable stuff. I'm just going to go home, okay, man? <laughs> just don't worry about me. I'm good. I'm good. Don't even bother helping. I'm good. Well, he tells us that he's been watching us. So he tells us that he's been watching us and that we've been getting in the way of his work. And he demands that we give him something called number 38. Again, this is another element of the game that I have no flipping clue what they were trying to mean, what they were referencing, what they were going for, because number 38 isn't referenced again in the rest of the game. And and when we tell him we don't know what we're doing there, we're, that we're just there for the golden apple, he doesn't like stop us or go like, oh, I don't know where that is. He goes, oh yeah, it's at the top of the tower. What? And he just lets us go. But he does tell us, he does warn us before we do, that the rest of the puzzles to get to the top of the tower are tougher than all the other puzzles combined. I would know. I made them myself. Right. Well, I made them myself, sorry. <laughs> and so this, it's at this point that the game starts putting together a bunch of the mysteries that have been created throughout the rest of the game. And this is where everything starts to cinch up. Bruno and Leighton start talking to each other in, in terms that Luke doesn't understand. And Luke kind of grows confused and a little flustered. So Leighton kind of lays everything out to Luke you know, perfectly. Let me ask, what do you guys think the the reveal is? I think this is an elaborate ploy by a man named Cogsworth to reveal that he had the apple along, but he ate it. What do you th- what do you think the reveal is, Alf? There was no apple. There was no apple. What, what what's your real what do you think really happened, Scott? Yeah, I think I think the apple was like a misdirect. Right. So it was a red herring. It doesn't even exist. Professor Layton lays out that all of these kidnappings, the reason that they keep finding these cogs every time that someone gets kidnapped is because um, everybody in the village is actually robots. And that Bruno has made all of them and keeps them running. And in fact, oh. 
all of Saint Mystere is constructed by Bruno and the Baron in an attempt to protect the golden apple. The whole thing is a like a a, a, a plan, right? The whole thing is a is a shield to make sure the person who can get to the golden apple is the rightful person who deserves it. Huh. Now we solve some puzzles and we ascend the tower and we learn about more of the mysteries. First, we learn about who sabotaged the drawbridge. And Leighton explains to Luke that Bruno was the one that sabotaged the drawbridge so that he could have more time to evaluate both Leighton and Luke. Next is the Simon murder, to which Leighton believes that Don Paolo followed them into the manor and found Simon already collapsed, having a malfunction of his own operations. Not killed, just a robot. And those same malfunctions that, uh, these are the same malfunctions that made that loud noise that scared the cat off. Chelmy was made up on the spot. And Don Paolo is, a, is explained as this uh, smart scientist who understands like advanced technology. And so he knew immediately that Simon was a robot and he wanted to steal him so he could learn more about the technology. And so he made up the inspector bit on the spot along with the murder so that he could pin the crime on Leighton and get away from the town with, the, with Simon. And so we go up a little bit further. We solve a little bit more puzzles. And this time Luke wants to know about why Lady Dahlia and why Lady Violet look like the exact same person. And Luke kind of encourages, or Leighton kind of encourages Luke to figure it out for himself. And he posits that Dahlia was made to look exactly like Violet uh, by the Baron. That it was like, it wasn't that he went off into the world and married someone who looked exactly like his old, his late wife. It's that he went off into the world and found someone who could literally make a robot in her likeness. Jesus, man. And so this is the reason that, like, Flora didn't like Lady Dahlia is because it was so, it was like an uncanny valley thing. It's like, it's a robot that looks like her mom. And that's why she didn't like it. Yeah, wow. And so, um, and so a little bit further up the tower, we go uh, a few more puzzles and we find ourselves at the top of the tower and at the top of the tower we're in the middle of the clouds it's dark but there is a charming little cottage that sits there at the top of it looking down on the, t on the village and inside the cottage it's lavishly furnished the idea is like surely we we have walked into it we have found the golden apple this is it like the top of the tower this opulently furnished and built cottage and a voice comes from inside and when we turn to face the owner of the voice we see the same mysterious woman from earlier with the shawl and the glasses and this time she removes the she removes them both to reveal that she is in fact flora the lost daughter of the baron huh. and in this moment as, as they meet them Instead of, instead of addressing her as Flora, Leighton addresses the daughter as the golden apple. You're joking. And Flora starts to explain. That, uh, but she is, and she's about to explain everything out, make sense of everything. But then we're interrupted 
by Paolo attacking the tower with a helicopter and wrecking balls. What? I'm not even kidding. So now Leighton, Luke, and Flora are running back down the tower as Paolo is smashing it with with wrecking balls at the bottom of a helicopter. And he smashes it into the tower and Luke and Leighton get separated and Leighton and Flora go back up to the cottage. And then this shit gets so MacGyver right now, right? Paolo's attacking the top of the tower and they have no way out of the top of the tower. They have no way of getting out. They're dead. Wrong. Professor Leighton pulls the curtains off of the, off of like the windows, grabs like a giant wooden beam and fashions it all together, takes a string, ties it somewhere. And now he has a glider that he and Flora stand on and take off into the night off of the tower. And they're literally gliding through the air with Paolo and his wrecking ball helicopter chasing after them. Oh my good God. He's actually MacGyver. Oh my good God. I, I don't remember what they do specifically, but they, they basically stop Paolo and he goes crashing and flying away, cursing Leighton as he flies off, right? And Leighton and, and Flora land in their glider on the ground and all the village people gather around them. And Flora, you know, gives Leighton this big old hug. And then at this point, Leighton notices that a mark appears on Flora's, like, clavicle, it'd be the best way to say it. Like, right, not on her neck, but not on her chest, like... Oh, just like on her shoulder area? Yeah, it appears okay. right there. A little apple symbol appears like on her on her neck. And so then we cut to like, um, you know, we cut back to the manor uh, where we're looking at the portrait of Flora back in the foyer. Mm-hmm. And Professor Layton, remembering that mark on her on her shoulder goes up to the portrait and pushes where that mark should be because it's not on the portrait and the portrait actually has a hidden button and it depresses a bookcase slides out of the way and behind it is revealed to be just mountains of gold coins and riches and money like it's it's like scrooge mcduck like levels of of wealth (laughs) what yeah and this is where like we get the final bit as we enter in before we can touch and collect anything a recording plays overhead and it's of the baron and it's a message to his daughter i i took this quote i really liked it. it said that streets and buildings are the bones of a village but its heart is the people who live in it and he bestows the fortune to Leighton, and there's a pretty big caveat though okay you see if he even lays a hand on the fortune even just a pinky on any of it all of the robots in this in this village every single villager will go into this deep sleep and will never be activated again their purpose completely you know having come to fruition and so Leighton, instead of making the decision himself he passes this decision on to flora the girl whom which the entire village was made for who that way he can touch the fortune and she can't dude this guy's iq man well he's been solving puzzles all game so i would hope he's got some iq well she decides to not and uh 
and they leave the fortune where it's at. And the the end of the game is uh, Leighton, Luke, and Flora getting into the car that they arrived in and all the villagers kind of gathering up around the car and seeing them off into the countryside. And uh, all the villagers return into the village and it's presumed that the village goes on living. But Flora is now left and uh, we get our, you know, we roll the credits as we ride into the countryside. Having found the golden apple, solve the murders, and uh, and come out the exact, almost the exact way we went in. Jesus, man! And that's <laughs> that is that is the game that we missed, Professor Layton and the Curious Village. Oh my God! We missed a good game, apparently. Yeah, what do you guys think? <laughs> we missed the good. That was so twisty. I liked it. I liked that. What about you, Alfie? Yeah, you've been quiet for a lot of this. I don't know, man. I uh, I did like the I did enjoy the story. I definitely um, don't think I would have had the mental capacity to sit through it all when I was in eighth grade. You know. Yeah, in total, by the end of that, I think you had like eighty something puzzles, like oh, minimum fuck. to beat the game. You had to solve like eighty puzzles. Fuck that. Yeah. Well, all right, that's going to be the end of this episode then. Uh, a good, solid two-hour and ten-minute episode. Really what I kind of want to get into and what I'm prepping for is uh, the first really big series for 2021. Um, I want to go through all of the Resident Evil timeline. And that's not like each game, not going like one, two, three, you know, and so on. But like I want to go from like where it all began in the 1960s, the 1950s, and literally take like a chronological journey through the whole thing. And, I, and how does it all play out? How does it all work? Where does it all intertwine? Yeah, so we're, we're working on that stuff and that's kind of on the back burner. But I really want to do that series this year. Maybe maybe it's after 8 comes out and we'll do it during the you know October or whatever. But we're getting, we're getting winded here. Uh, thank you for watching all the way to the end or listening to the, all the way to the end. If you got a suggestion for a game that you want us to cover or talk about... Um, you know, feel free to give us uh, any suggestions that you may have. Um, if you enjoy everything that we did here today, and you want to check out some more stuff that we do, uh, head on over to our YouTube channel where we have uh, new stuff going up throughout the week, multiple different types of content. All everything for me is on the Paradise Podcast Network para, at Parapod Network. Uh, if you want to check out Scott. Uh, he, I know he does his own Twitch stream. Scott, where do you, where do you, what do you have going on during the week? Um, I try to play a bunch of, uh, you know, League of Legends, but Persona Five Strikers came out, so, um, that's gonna be going up there as well. Um, throughout the week, uh, probably Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday as well. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to play through it. <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm enjoying watching you play Strikers. I'm waiting for it to release, and then I'm definitely <laughs> going to pick it up. Um, Alfie, where can we can we catch you anywhere yet, or are you still off the grid? Um, yeah, I keep saying I'm, I'm, I need to set up an actual uh, Twitch channel for my for my endeavors, but I've been saying for a while I wanted to uh, achievement hunt some games, um, probably just the, the tail end of achievement hunting uh, Assassin's Creed 2. 
I don't know, it gets kind of murky though because a lot of these games tend to have like multiplayer achievements and oh those are worse. A, Ooh, yeah unless i had like a big following to be like hey who wants to help me go <laughs> trophy? Like, you know that but that'd be cool i was thinking that would be cool if i if i can get you know some kind of follow and be like hey yeah let's all fucking play this old ass game that may or may not even have active servers anymore mm-hmm. and uh, start a know. whole community to help everyone get the the achievement not just you but like yeah like everyone yeah, can yeah, get this this elusive get it going. <laughs> it's pretty cool well whenever we'll you get that up yeah we'll we'll be sure to uh to give those links and, and to get that uh to get that plugged but um that's gonna re- conclude for today we hope you enjoyed and we'll see you in the next uh episode And who knows what it'll be.